Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here on Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, I hope you have run out today and, and bought on sale all the last of the Reese's Easter eggs. Uh, now, I have two stories. They came up over the weekend. They are Easter related. I want to dispatch those. One of them actually, actually both of them pretty big stories. Uh, lots of chatter today, even even on the second one. And then we'll get into the other news, including uh, Herman Cain has uh, withdrawn his name from being in the hat for the Federal Reserve. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says the uh, VA does not need any fix in at all, that it, it's not broken. But first, um, two stories, one of which is hopefully I can dispatch it somewhat quickly. And that is this idea. Uh, that the Democrats were saying something they should not have said in using the phrase Easter worshipers. Y'all, of all of the things to get worked up about, I, I genuinely believe this is not one. And I occasionally get accused of getting worked up over nothing by the left. I really do think some conservatives are getting more worked up about this than they should be. I, I understand that it is an unusual phrase, and I understand that uh, some of you think it's disrespectful. I, I get all of that. I really do get all of that. But this is not a hill to die on, and I don't think it should be for you either. Now, what am I talking about for those of you who have no idea? Over the weekend, you had the attacks that killed over 200 people in, um, in Sri Lanka, and several Democratic politicians, including but not limited to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, all came up and they expressed their sympathies for the Easter worshipers and uh, the people killed in hotels and condemned the attacks. And this is one of those things where a lot of conservatives flew into a rage uh, very quickly because they said... Easter worshipers, they did not say Christians. And then in Twitter, where it is um, 200, what, 254 characters or less, that they should have said Christian. And that by not saying Christian, they were, they were bad. They were doing, I don't, I honestly, I don't get the outrage. I mean, these are Democrats we're, we're talking about here. And they didn't say Christian. And are any of us surprised? What I think the outrage masks, though, and this is, I think, the actual relevant point here, you're not going to get, I mean, this is one reason why so many conservatives are, in fact, uh, staying with Donald Trump, even if they don't like him, is there is the, the, the things that Democrats say that make you realize they don't really believe what they say they believe. They don't really understand what they claim to understand. But, you know, Easter worshiper, although it's uncommon, it's not actually unheard of. It has been used. I can find you documented evidence of going back to the 1800s in the same way that there was a terrorist attack on Christmas worshipers a number of years ago in the media and the media and politicians refer to it as Christmas worshipers because they were worshiping at Christmas and, and no one got offended by it. There was no outrage by it. I, I really do think that this is one of those things about social media that brings out the the anger in people, the complaining in people that otherwise would not come out. It's just not a huge deal in my mind. And it is for some of you. I know I've been yelled at by a number of people for dismissing this today, but here's the thing. 
This is what gets overshadowed in all of these complaints. You have close to a dozen Democratic politicians who use the phrase Easter worshipers. It is not a common phrase. Yes, I can show you evidence going back to the 1800s that people have used the phrase, but in the common vernacular, it is not a common thing to say. And what it suggests to me is not that you should be outraged by them actually trying to express their sympathies to a group of people who died. But what you should take note of and potentially be outraged by is it's very clear the Democrats are letting one small group of people within the Democratic Party uh, manage their social media feeds. All the Democrats are staying on message. That, to me, I think is the big thing here. Uh, I have a real hard time believing that if Hillary Clinton or Joaquin Castro or uh, Barack Obama or some of the others who were accused in, in this way, if they were the ones who were actually tweeting, I don't think they would have said Easter worshipers. I think they would have said Christians or they, they would have said people of faith or something like that. They wouldn't have said Easter worshipers. The fact that someone said Easter worshipers to me strongly suggests to me that all of these people have outsourced their Twitter accounts to someone, and that someone is who's running these accounts, and it's probably a Democratic entity, which suggests for 2020 they'll be highly coordinated in their messaging. Okay, now here's the other story, and and listen, I, I do theological shows on Good Friday. My apologies to those of you who who don't like it, but it, this does require just a little bit. Um, but it goes to a, a much larger point about what's happening in society, and particularly in the Democratic primary. Uh, and this is, I think her name is Serene Jones. Uh, so Nick Kristoff, who is an op-ed writer for the New York Times, highly respected, he actually does a really good series. Uh, every quarter or so he does a, he prints an interview he's had with a, a Christian theologian. He's done Tim Keller and William Craig Lane and others on the, the necessity of belief in the resurrection and the virgin birth and uh, just the, the basic tenets of Christianity. And Nick Kristoff is someone who he accepts Jesus as wise teacher. He can't accept the resurrection. And who he interviewed for Easter this year is the president of Union Theological Seminary. There was a man who became very famous before and during World War II. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, He is one of the preeminent theologians of the 20th century, a brilliant mind and a brilliant theologian. And Bonhoeffer was ultimately killed during World War II for assisting in a plot to kill Adolf Hitler. Uh, planning, He was involved in some way with the plot and, and wound up ministering while in a concentration camp before being executed. He was a brilliant theologian. And he graduated from Union Theological Seminary. And so it's kind of sad to see uh, this. The president of Union Theological Seminary, when asked by Nick Kristoff if one could be a Christian while not believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ— And her answer was that, yes, in fact, you can. Um, And that is really a big no-no, because you can't. Um, In fact, the the Bible is actually very clear on this issue, that you can't. Uh, Her words, in particular, is... um, 
Well, where is it? Yes, here we go. What she said to Nick Kristoff is, I've got like three quotes in this piece, and you can go to theresurgent.com and find these things. Um, but uh, he writes, or she says, for Christians for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, that seems to me to be a pretty wobbly faith. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that mean that Christianity was a lie? No, faith is stronger than that. But we, we don't have to go outside the Bible to find the answer to this. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are ever found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. In other words, Paul says Christians are fools to be pitied and also lying about God if Jesus wasn't raised. And here comes this lady saying, oh, you don't have to believe in the physical resurrection. People get obsessed over it. If Jesus' body is found tomorrow, Christianity doesn't fall. Yes, actually it does because you're claiming divinity. And here, here's the thing, and, and this is why I don't want to turn this into a theological show, but it's deeply relevant to what's happening in the Democratic Party today. There's a, there's a story. Bear with me. We'll get to it. To be a Christian, you can disagree on a lot. Coptic Christians, Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, heck, among Protestants, Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists, they disagree on everything. How do you baptize someone? Transubstantiation, all these things. But there is one thing that every single one of them agrees on, and that is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even most of the seminary professors at Union Theological Seminary have said the physical resurrection of Christ is the definitionally the thing in Christianity that you have to believe in. And here comes this woman saying, no, no, you don't. And I'm a Christian. Well, you're not. If, if you don't believe, if you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus, you're not a Christian. And that's not me saying it. It, it is the Bible says it. I mean, in Acts, it talks about um, Christians. The, the label of Christian is first given to followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, and, and for those of you who say, well, Paul shouldn't be in the Bible, Paul corrupted the Bible, you know, Peter, the apostle Peter, he actually writes in, in 2 Peter that uh, Paul's words and his epistles have the same authority as Scripture. So I guess you, you got issues with Peter. You don't have issues with me. Um, so you got all of these things. Uh, words matter. I I love women. I, I sincerely love women. I'm a, a heterosexual male. I am happily married. I have two children. Uh, this woman calling herself a Christian and rejecting the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is like me calling myself a lesbian or you calling yourself a lesbian if you like women. It's like a, a steak eater calling himself a vegetarian. If, if she is right, if it doesn't matter, then the flat earthers have an, a, a meritorious argument to make. The people who believe the earth is flat have a meritorious argument to make. If she can say, in my opinion, their physical resurrection doesn't matter. Why do they have a meritorious argument? Because it's settled. It is It is settled. We have sent uh, rocket ships into space and have looked back and seen, oh, it's a ball. We have 2,000 years of people, including a number of whom b say they were eyewitnesses who said Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, I can't convince you of that fact. But I should be able to convince you that you have every major Christian theologian for 2,000 years has said you must believe this. The apostles who worked with and for Jesus said this. 
Paul said this writing in 53 AD in Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, only two decades after Jesus's death and resurrection, he writes this. And if you don't believe that, 30 years later, John writes the book of John where he has Jesus in post-resurrection body with nail wounds on his hands, cooking fish on an open flame. Within a, 10 years of that, you have Polycarp and Ignatius writing about the physically resurrected Jesus. You have within 100 years of that, Tertullian, one of the most famous uh, early church fathers, saying that you're a heretic if you don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. This isn't some widely disputed view. And yet she accepts it, embraces it as if, oh, yeah, you can be a Christian if you don't believe this. Now, how is this relevant to politics for today? Well, we've entered into this period of moral relativism where all of these things count based on how you feel. So, for example, uh, there's an article out today uh, that Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana, who is gay, uh, really isn't a gay candidate because he's white and has the privilege of cis heterosexual white male privilege, whatever the hell that means. And so he's not really representative of women. He can't actually understand the authentic gay experience in America. And it's all these other people who never mind that he is gay, never mind that that he has lived his life as a gay man. He's come out and all this. He doesn't count because he hasn't lived their experience. That's just that's that's dumb. That's more relativism. But that's where we are in this country now where your experience is defines all things because you have an experience quantum mechanics. You think quantum mechanics doesn't exist because you haven't seen the world as round. The world must not be round because you haven't experienced the resurrection of Jesus. Then Jesus must really not have been resurrected. All of this is moral relativism. All of this is identity politics. They collide into each other and, and form this I mean, mental defect that is among so many of our elites today, where increasingly elites in America who have bought into wokeness are really exposing themselves to just be hucksters, frauds, and idiots. Okay, I went out of town this past weekend and I did not have my butterfly pillow. And it's actually called my butterfly pillow. That's the product name. They sent me one and asked if I would review it. Gosh, it's been about a month ago. Uh, Georgia Company, they sent it to me, asked if I wanted to review it. I fell in love with it. And then my kids stole it from me, and I had to steal it back from my kids. So my butterfly pillow is kind of unique in that it is adjustable in more ways than one. It's got a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It has a built-in uh, Night Owls Bluetooth speaker, so you can listen to music, sound, even smart TV. It, it, the height is adjustable. It's even got a great position for you for your arm if you're a side sleeper. I love my butterfly pillow. You will love my butterfly pillow. I went out of town this weekend and I didn't take it with me and very much missed it. It has become my go-to napping pillow. Listeners to the Eric Erickson show get $30 off the list price of $129. You use code Eric, E-R-I-C-K at checkout. You'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to mybutterflypillow.com. Enter the code Eric at checkout to save $30 and get free shipping. That's mybutterflypillow.com. The checkout code is Eric. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Herman Cain, uh, the, the president tweeted it out that Herman Cain has asked that his nomination for the, um, the, the Federal Reserve be withdrawn. Uh, there was no reason why. I, I think we can guess. We, we've got four Republicans who came out very quickly and said they did not think that he was suitable for the pick. There are a number of Republicans actually in the Senate who have come out and said, basically, if if you are someone 
that I know whose name I've heard of. I, I don't think you're qualified. And this is goes to the idea that they don't want celebrities on the Federal Reserve. There's an argument against Steve Moore being on the Federal Reserve, although Steve Moore has been an economist for a number of years. Uh, but I mean, Herman was totally qualified. And I am afraid that this news kind of ignores the qualifications of the man. And it is worth noting yet again, and I sound like a broken record for this, but Herman King was on the Federal Reserve. He was a president of a of a Federal Reserve board. He was a CEO of a major corporation. He worked in major five, Fortune 500 corporations. He spent time in trade association think tank world. And yes, he ran for president of the United States and was a radio talk show host. He's got the qualifications. And there is this underlying sentiment creeping up in Washington among Republican circles that celebrities are no longer welcome within the administration. And Herman is negatively impacted by this. The president has supported a number of prominent people for roles and they were prominent because the president liked them from TV. The various people he's appointed for the State Department ambassadorships and else, elsewhere that he saw on Fox News. Or they were friends with the president in his personal life. He at one point tried to get uh, one of his associates to be the head of the FDA and, and whatnot. And Republicans in the Senate are beginning to push back against this. They believe the president increasingly is a liability. They are deeply worried about 2020, and I think Herman fell victim to that, and that's unfortunate. He was tremendously qualified for the job uh, and is now not going to be able to get it. Now, when we come back, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, a friend of mine called. His son is a Marine and has had several people commit suicide uh, that he became friends with while in the Marines. There is an increasing rate of suicides among active and retired members of the military, 20 a day, I think the statistic is. Uh, shortly after that phone call, uh, the friend of mine called back and said that his son had called him after he had gotten off the phone with me here on the program, and yet another friend of his had committed suicide. There is a real problem within the military in suicides, and there is a real problem at the VA with suicide. I guess it was two weeks ago now. Uh, another person went to the VA and committed suicide in the waiting room. Someone else earlier that week had gone into the parking lot of a VA and committed suicide, all of them leaving notes behind about how terrible their care is, and they couldn't get the care and help they needed, and, and they were cries for help, and the VA ignored them. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has now been found in a video that has made its way around the internet. I have the audio, and guess what she says of the VA? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Welcome back. Uh, my apologies to the newsroom and traffic uh, for messing them up and terrible clock management on my part in the last half hour. Um, we will rectify that here, though. Uh, the phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is back in the news. In fact, we posted this at the resurgent earlier today. I, myself posted this earlier there's an america there's a group called america rising it is a republican group that essentially goes out and videotapes the dumb things the candidates on the other side say and uh we were able to to get this video of one of the dumb things that alexandria ocasio-cortez is now out there saying and essentially she believes that the effort to 
will fix the problems at the VA are a matter of a right-wing conspiracy? Yeah, kind of. Um, I want to pull up the file from YouTube and let you listen to it for yourself so you can get a sense of this. This is, again, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. There are some things that we're hearing today. There's some themes that we've got Yeah, so you got that, that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and that it delivers the highest quality health care possible to our veterans. I honestly don't know a single veteran who would agree with that statement, and this is a habit of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, is she speaks out of ignorance, not out of experience, and she presumes her ignorance is experience. She hasn't had a problem, therefore... It, there is no problem, or she has had a problem, therefore it is a problem. Uh, you know, th this is one of the problems, and this goes related to what I was talking about in, in the first half hour, of moral relativism. And if I want to call myself a vegetarian and eat steak, that, that it's okay, because I, I get to identify and I have my own truth, my own truth. This is her own truth, is she's never had a problem with the VA, so, therefore, there must be no problem with the VA. But she has had a problem with X, Y, and Z. Therefore, there must be a problem. As I tell you all the time on this program, anecdote is not data. I All the time we get people who call this program. In fact, I, I, I've got a, a bunch of angry people who are calling me today. Uh, actually emailing over the idea that the, the resurrection is optional. That, that they believe they are Christians and they don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. And nobody they know disagrees with them. I got an, got an email from someone earlier who said this, that, that she laughs at her husband because her husband's a believer and, and she's not. And he's always riddled with guilt and thinking there are things he needs to do and she's, none of it matters. <laughs> what a delightful person. But it's all this moral relativism and it, it's this, this embrace of identity overarching everything, superseding truth even. And this whole idea that my experience informs my truth, that there can be no truth but for my experience. And, of course, there were philosophers in the 18th and 19th century who agreed with these things, uh, largely put on the ash heap of history until resurrected by the commies. Uh, but this is what we've got now. A lot of people who believe unless they have experienced something for themselves, there is no problem. And, you know, what's so interesting here is that this is an argument embraced by the left so very pervasively, except on the issue of discrimination, where they want everyone to know that there is discrimination. And, and even if you haven't experienced it, there's discrimination. And that is virtually the only category that they put off in this absolute truth category, this absolute truth of systematic injustice in the world, in the United States in particular, 
And everything else is in this moral relativistic experiential box where if you haven't experienced it for yourself, it's not real. And that's what we have here. We have a member of Congress who has never experienced a delay getting health care at the VA, who has thus concluded that there is no problem at the VA. It's staggering uh, that this person is a lawmaker and is legislating based on her own anecdotes as opposed to what the data says. In fact, there is not anyone, including in the Obama administration who studied the VA, who said that there wasn't a problem. They're uniformly... There has been agreement from Democrats and Republicans there's a problem. Johnny Isaacson, Georgia's own senator, uh, has been leading the fight to clean up the VA. He, uh, he has dedicated himself to fixing the VA. He's talked to experts who are Democrats. He's talked to experts who are Republicans, and they all have horror stories about the VA, things that need to be fixed. The debate is over whether or not to get rid of the VA and put everyone in the private system. That's what I favor. Or fixing the VA. But it's really not up for debate that the VA needs fixes, whether they are allowing people to go into the private sector for their health care or fixing the VA. That's just, this is crazy, but this is where the Democrats are now. If a Republican says the VA is bad, it must be a conspiracy to help private doctors and insurers. It's just, it's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, wow. I got to shift gears here because Nancy Pelosi has dropped a letter on us. Uh, Let me just read you the key paragraph. Uh, This is about the Democrats on how they're going to proceed. They're going to have a press conference at five o'clock today, or I'm sorry, not a press conference, a conference call with the chairs, bicameral chairs, that is the various chairs in the House and Senate, uh, Democratic ranking leaders in the Senate on how to proceed. But key paragraph here, while our views range from proceeding to investigate the findings of the Mueller report or proceeding directly to impeachment, we all firmly agree that we should proceed down a path to finding the truth. It is also important to know that the facts regarding holding the president accountable can be gained outside of impeachment hearings. As we proceed to uncover the truth and present additional needed reforms to protect our democracy, we must show the American people we are proceeding free from passion or prejudice, strictly on the presentation of fact. Oh, ho, 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 ho. You know, we haven't talked about H.R. 1. This is what she references in this letter. I should probably spend a little more time discussing H.R. 1. This is the Democrats' uh, catch-all solution for solving electoral problems in the United States. It will blow your mind. This just this is the story of the day that infuriates me. Can I I want to play you a, a just a piece of music here that you will recognize fairly quickly. I played it on this program before. Now, if you don't know, uh, the singer is Kate Smith. Kate Smith was a very famous singer in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And she sang a song, apparently, that social justice warriors on the internet have deemed racist. What's so interesting about the accusation is that she sang the song with Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson is a was uh, one of the famous um, black actors 
of the day in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, he was a had a wonderful voice. Uh, he starred in the London production of Othello. He really gained fame uh, with Showboat, uh, which was a first a play and then it was turned into a movie. He was he's uh, fought in World War II. Um, he is just he is a and was an amazing person. He was also uh, problematic in some of his political views, I guess you could say. Um, very, 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 very leftist. Well, Paul Robeson and Kate Smith sang a song together. Uh, and again, it's it's interesting. He's a, a far left uh, black activist from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, sang a song with Kate Smith, who was a Republican. The song has been deemed racist by social justice warriors. And as a result of that song being deemed racist uh, by social justice warriors... Uh, the the uh, Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Yankees have stopped playing Kate Smith's version of God Bless America, which had been almost an institutional tradition for both teams. Social justice warriors demanded they stop playing the song. Now, let's be clear what's really going on here. It is not really sports teams caving to social justice warriors. It is that uh, these teams have long wanted to stop playing a relic of the 1960s, and they haven't been able to come up with an excuse to stop because the fans expected it. You go to a baseball game and you expect certain things in, in certain arenas. You you absolutely expect certain things. And people have, if you've gone to games in Philadelphia, hockey games, or you've gone to uh, you gone to baseball games at Yankee Stadium, you have expected to hear. Kate Smith's version of God Bless America. Well, social justice warriors have provided both teams' excuses to ditch the song uh, by claiming that it was racist. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, she also, by the way, Kate Smith sang one of my favorite Christmas uh, songs. This is from the There's 1950s. So Christmas Eve in my hometown. Y'all will recognize this when I play this on my Christmas show every year, too. Yes, that's right. The day after Easter, we got a Christmas song going, this is Kate Smith. Come on, people. Okay, now you recognize the song. I, I played it before. Famous singer, famous singer. Not racist, but she was conservative. She was a Republican. She was apparently also a pro-life in her day. So they had to get rid of the song. When we come back, HR1, and we got a new candidate running for Congress in Georgia 7. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Before I get to anything else, uh, I wanted to get Doug Turnbull in here with me for uh, a couple of minutes because there is a sinkhole that is tying up West Peachtree Street between 3rd and 4th Street and uh, all sorts of other traffic issues in Atlanta now, including uh, an idea that was floated about charging some sort of fee to commuters from out of the city who come into the city and wanted to actually pick his brain. Doug, you around? He's in a helicopter, folks. There we go. He's in a helicopter, so this is a miracle of modern technology. Oh, okay, so, Doug, first of all, this sinkhole downtown between 3rd and 4th Street, how long are we expecting that to screw things up? It's really 
tough to tell because we had a worker on the scene tell us about this initially when it happened Thursday afternoon. And that's the value of our traffic troopers being able to tell us things as soon as they drop. So we flew over Thursday. Here's the thing, Eric. It's all underground. So if you look at Beach Street or West Beach Street, you wonder why the world is it closed. The problem is under the roadway, but the barriers were up as early as Thursday afternoon. And frankly, Eric, the story kind of got covered up because come Thursday night and into Friday morning and all day, we had storm damage all over, but this sinkhole happened before the storm, so I'm not sure exactly the extent of the damage, but to think if some of the other sinkholes for Friday and all that flooding have already been fixed and this one has not on Thursday, it could be there for quite a minute. Yeah, and you know, as, as well, sinkholes a lot of times, they're impacted by rain and expanded by rain, so i got to imagine that storm coming through did the traffic uh, team no favors in trying to get that thing fixed. Oh, certainly not. It, it was a really busy morning on Friday as well with the uh, Smiley Bar McKay and the whole morning team there. They were tracking flooding and closures all over the city. And then a second wave came through Friday afternoon right as I started. So we're tracking all of those. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, West Beach Street is still there. And so with that situation still being in place, I literally, as you threw to me right then just a moment ago, had flown right over it. And what I can tell you is despite the prescription of major delays of West Beach Street, there are plenty of ways around it. So West Beach Street, the new normal until it gets reopened, it's going to be slow. West Beach Street from about Linden Avenue up to where they force you to turn right there onto 3rd Street. But you can go right over to regular Beach Street or to Piedmont and even some other of the smaller roads there and just work right north and then get on above 5th Street. You're okay. Now, I wanted to ask you related to this. There's this uh, proposal that's been floated uh, by, I guess, some in city council and elsewhere in Atlanta to add a fee to commuters from outside the city who are coming into downtown because I, I think there is general consensus, and, and Mayor Bottoms has actually been very, very vocal on this, that we got a lot of problems with the infrastructure in the downtown and midtown area right now. That, that's correct. And I mean, think about this West Beach Street closure. If it had been noticed beforehand, maybe if there was more funding, they could have handled it before it became a sinkhole. I'm not sure. It could also be a brief problem. But I really think there's a lot of resistance to that idea from from anybody that has to commute there just because it seems like overall Atlantans are resistant to traffic taxes. It's always had to happen. If you remember for 2015, it had to happen in the legislature. Anytime there's been a statewide or usually oftentimes countywide tax initiatives to try to go toward either BARTA funding or infrastructure funding lately, it seems like they've been voted down. So I don't know exactly how the Atlanta City Council would be able to initiate that, but I think there'd be a lot of outrage. But certainly we know that infrastructure needs a lot more funding than it does, no matter where it comes if only the sinkhole had opened while the legislature was in town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and swallowed one of their vehicles, too. That really would have been a great uh, way to promote that. Yep, taxes on the rise there. All right, Doug. You know, so we were coming home for our Easter yesterday, and uh, Christy had Evelyn and went rural back roads from Carrollton. Gunner and I went the interstate. We went to go past the airport and down. And, man, I always forget that the, the reversible toll lane typically goes north on the weekend, People coming into the city, we were headed south, and oh, traffic was awful headed south on 75, uh, south of the airport. Okay, uh, HR1, we, we need to talk about HR1, then we've got a candidate running for the uh, Georgia 7, that's Rob Woodall's seat, new intriguing candidate people are buzzing about, we'll get there, but this HR1, this is the first piece of legislation, Democrats entered into 
the House of Representatives. And it's very telling. Typically, the very first piece of legislation that either side drops when a new Congress forms is their messaging legislation. That means it's not necessarily the legislation they intend to pass. Uh, it is the legislation they intend to build their entire congressional message off of. So Republicans, for example, after George W. Bush was elected, his H.R. 1 was, does anybody remember? Anybody remember? No Child Left Behind. Uh, he worked with the Democrats. He allowed Ted Kennedy to write it. He wanted to be the education president. That was his big piece of legislation, then got scuttled by 9-11 in 2001. The Democrats now want to make uh, full transparency and disclosures in democracy their big issue. So they want to, for example, in H.R. 1, ban any sort of corporate contributions, which is impossible under a Supreme Court precedent. Uh, they also want to do radical transparency. They want to require outside groups to disclose all of their donors, anybody who sends you money. Well, this is actually a real problem. It sounds good in theory that we should know to avoid the Russians. I mean, you should say, you know what, the, the rule should be don't take money from the Russians. But uh, the Democrats are saying, you know what, we, we need to go further than that because if the law says don't take money from the Russians, what if people still take money from the Russians? Well, uh, you got bigger problems because, I mean, are they really going to disclose it? Well, what the Democrats want is they want everyone to disclose all the information about their contributors. What's so interesting here is that left-wing groups like Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, and the like support this legislation at the national level. But at the local level, they oppose it. So, for example, New Jersey considered this legislation. New Jersey was going to require that any nonprofit and any group that participates in elections disclose all of their donors. Well, Planned Parenthood in New Jersey was opposed to it because Planned Parenthood didn't want Christians boycotting small businesses that might give Planned Parenthood money. But at the national level, they're okay with it. Well, because at the national level, Planned Parenthood gets federal money and whatnot, so they'll be okay. And uh, there are a lot of Republicans who contribute, and they want to be able to have a hit list of businesses and individuals who can be harassed. And folks, this isn't theory. This is not theoretical. There are numerous instances around the country, going back even before the, the um, Proposition 8 legislation in California on gay marriage, where progressives were targeting and harassing conservative donors. People who gave money to George W. Bush were harassed. People who gave money to John McCain were harassed. People who gave money to Mitt Romney were harassed. Now people are really being harassed for supporting Donald Trump. We're having left-wing protesters show up at small businesses that were perceived to be Trump-friendly. Remember, we, we had here in uh, Monday Night Brewing here in Atlanta, opens, they've got a fantastic facility on the South Side. We've done a live broadcast from there in the past. And they allowed an organization to do a fundraiser for Brian Kemp there. And progressive activists targeted Monday Night Brewing for a boycott, not because Monday Night was funding Brian Kemp, not because Monday Night was donating to Brian Kemp, but because Monday Night Brewing was allowing a third party to rent out their facility to hold a fundraiser for Brian Kemp. They got targeted for boycott by progressive groups. We're seeing this around the country, and that's one reason the Democrats love these disclosure laws is because they know progressive activists more than conservative activists are likely to target for harassment and boycott anyone who gives money to the right. And so they think if they pass this legislation and they get all these disclosures out there that conservatives will see a lot of money to their causes, particularly their nonprofit religious causes, dry up, and they're okay with that. This is how the Democrats have decided they want to clean up the process 
by sicking the mob on conservatives. Y'all, let me just take a quick time out to tell you how much I love my Quip electric toothbrush. Now, I know if you listen to any podcast, you're probably going to hear an ad for Quip or Harry's or different mattresses and stuff. I'm actually a Quip user and have been for about three years now. In fact, my Quip toothbrush broke two weeks ago. I've had it for several years now, and I broke it. I wasn't paying attention when I changed the brush head. Completely my fault. (laughs) Um, uh, And I had to get a new one. And in the meantime, I had to go to the grocery store and get a new toothbrush. And I wasn't going to pay for one of those cheapy vibrating toothbrushes, and I certainly wasn't going to pay for one of the multi-hundred-dollar vibrating toothbrushes because I went online, ordered my new Quip, and had to wait for it a couple days to come in. But my goodness, um, just use a Quip and you can see the difference. In fact, I go to the orthodontist now because I've got the Invisalign braces and he keeps asking me when I started bleaching my teeth and he's asked me every time I've gone in and I don't, I just use the Quip. It's that good. It vibrates, it pulses every 30 seconds so you get an even cleaning. After two minutes, it turns itself off. The thing sells itself. Uh, I love my Quip and it starts at just $25 if you go to getquip.com slash Eric right now. You'll get your first refill pack. That is your first brush head. Every three months, you get a new brush head. First one's free if you go to getquip.com slash Eric and you get a free with a Quip Electra toothbrush. And again, only $25. So you get your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Eric. You will not find a better toothbrush out there at this point. I'm convinced. I love my Quip. I have to hand it to Microsoft's employees. <laughs> so Microsoft may be like, it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic. Microsoft is not actually a Silicon Valley tech company. It's in Washington state. And apparently a woman on the internal forums at Microsoft accused management of discrimination. Why is management engaged in discriminatory practices? Because they are valuing diversity over higher qualified white and Asian employees. And it's apparently caused some controversy among social justice warriors who work for Microsoft that a woman has dared to be the one to speak up on this issue. And uh, social justice warrior activists are very upset about it. So Quartz, the new site that has it, the headline is Microsoft staff are openly questioning the value of diversity. Some Microsoft employees are openly questioning whether diversity is important in a lengthy discussion on an internal online messaging board meant for communicating with CEO Satya Nadella. Two posts on the board criticizing Microsoft diversity initiatives as quote-unquote discriminatory hiring and suggesting that women are less suited for engineering roles have elicited more than 800 comments, both affirming and criticizing the viewpoint multiple Microsoft employees have told Quartz. The posts were written by a female Microsoft program manager. Quartz reached out to her directly, isn't making her name public at this point, pending her response. She writes, does Microsoft have any plans to end the current policy that financially incentivizes discriminatory hiring practices? To be clear, I'm referring to the fact that senior leadership is awarded more money if they discriminate against Asians and white men. Read the original post. The employee commented consistently throughout the thread, making similar arguments. I have an 
ever-increasing file of white male Microsoft employees who have faced outright and overt discrimination because they had the misfortune of being born both white and male. This is unacceptable. And of course, uh, progressives in the media are trying to find out who this woman is to destroy her life for suggesting such a thing. Some others are, of course, upset and claiming to be triggered by this. And of course, the corporate powers that be at Microsoft say that uh, they believe diversity and inclusive teams are good for business and consistent with our mission and inspire and inspire to culture, whatever that means. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, it, it's the company can do whatever they want, but I find it hilarious that a woman's pointed this out and social justice warriors are mad at her. Welcome back. Eric Erickson here at Lance's Evening News. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. We have a new candidate for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. That is Rob Woodalls. He is not going back after barely winning this time. Uh, he's not going to try that fight again when this candidate uh, presenting herself as an intriguing alternative. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blasting capitalism. To me, that ideology is not sustainable and cannot be redeemed. Nothing for the world. Are you there to cause chaos? All of us were ready and are still ready to throw down. We're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the mother That's the best they can do in Washington? If your kids behave like these women, you'd ground them. If they worked in your business, you'd fire them. We need more women in office with conservative values, common sense, and real-world experience. I'm Lynn Homrick, and here's my story. I'm a businesswoman and the mom of four. I worked my way up, building a successful career at Home Depot, becoming vice president of human resources. Since then, I've started nonprofits to strengthen our community and encourage young women to seek leadership roles. Now, I'm ready to lead by example. I'm running for Congress to strengthen our economy, make sure families have affordable health care and great schools, and that American values are celebrated, not attacked. I'll work with President Trump to make America stronger, and I'll take on the career politicians from both parties to get results for you. We need more competency and less chaos. Results, not resistance. Together, we can change Washington and start solving problems again. Join me. So Lynn Homrich, uh, she is, as she said, an executive from Home Depot, Human Resources, I believe, at Home Depot. Uh, Republicans are very intrigued because she can in part self-fund, so they think. Now, she joins a field that already is including uh, Joe Profit, former NFL player, and Renee Unterman, the state senator, is most likely going to run as well. Carolyn Bordeaux is the Democrat who only lost by about 500 votes in 2018, and Democrats are probably going to nominate her again, although other Democrats are running, including uh, John Eves, the former Fulton County Commission chair, uh, but Carolyn Bordeaux probably is going to be the uh, nominee. Now, here's the thing about Homrich. She actually moved from the 6th Congressional District into the 7th. Uh, so she moved to Duluth to be able to run. 
And there are some Republicans behind the scenes who are raising red flags about that because, for example, in the 6th Congressional District, you have the issue of Lucy McBath. Uh, now, of course, some will say, well, she's actually out of state, not just down the street and having to move to run. You don't actually even have to live in a congressional district uh, to run. You just have to live in the same state. So I suspect that, that, that it possibly won't be a huge issue. Here's the problem that all of these candidates are going to have, and that is media. In order to run at this point uh, in that district, and, and for those of you who don't know, the district, uh, the 7th Congressional District is the uh, Gwinnett County area. It's a very expensive media market to run in because you're running in uh, Atlanta. You're running ads on WSB, for example, uh, TV and radio. You're, you're running ads in, if you're running ads in newspapers, it's probably the AJC. And mail is very intense, even though congressional districts are uh, all apportioned so that there's the same population. You're running in a district that's pricey to run in, and you're running in a district that's going to have to have huge manpower. You're running in a district where you're going to have to have a ground game. One of the things that I think that the candidates in this district are going to have to do is go on and fund a ground game early. And again, this goes back to media. Uh, you're, you're paying. Listen, I, I love working at this station. And WSB TV is, I think, the most watched ABC affiliate in the country. Uh, WSB Radio is, uh, we battle back and forth with a, a talk station in LA for most listened to talk radio station in the country. It, we are certainly the, just a huge station in the Southeast, a uh, massive station. And as a result, uh, when people put ads on these, these uh, stations, they pay. And you pay across media markets. You want cable ad buys as well. You can target to some degree, a little more specifically, people who live in counties, depending on cable setup. But media buys in a district like the 7th Congressional District are very expensive. And more and more people are tuning these things out. Uh, luckily with radio, I, I mean, I, I joke with you guys, but some of you would consider yourselves probably a captured audience. And you're in your car. You're stuck. You're listening to us to get you on your way home. And I get it. We all get it here. That's why we go to traffic. But you can tune out TV more and more with Netflix uh, and HBO, and, and now you're going to have the Disney thing and the Apple thing. you got to have a ground game if you're a candidate. I sound like a broken record on this, but you absolutely have to have a ground game if you are going to run for office. That's why my buddy Drew uh, has that uh, voter gravity uh, or not voter gravity. I'm sorry, campaign sidekick uh, used to be called that. Now it's campaign sidekick. Uh, and campaign sidekick is a is it is a program where you can go door to door and you build a map of people. The RNC loves his program. And maybe, I guess I'm kind of, a, I'm not getting paid for this. He's just a friend. And I, I used to be a campaign strategist. I believe in the power of door to door. You are more likely going to get someone to connect to your campaign if someone shows up at their door and says, hey, will you vote for uh, you name the person, Renee Unterman, Joe Prophet, uh, or the newest entrant into the field here, uh, Lynn Homrick. Uh, uh, will you vote for this person? Here's here's why you should vote for this person. Are you interested in more literature on this person? Then you, you visit back. And eventually, the people who are most persuadable, you compile a list of them and you send the candidate back. That's that's why I love this campaign sidekick app is, is you, can, you can go with your iPhone and you can say, are you interested in hearing more from this candidate? Click yes. And then suddenly the candidate has a walk map and the candidate can go visit. Um, I just, I, I really think whether you use campaign sidekick or another app out there, 
on the Republican side, Democrats have their own. I'm just not familiar with the names of them, uh, but they have the same apps out there. And you go door to door and going door to door and knocking on doors and going to local events and doing local barbecues. And oh, my gosh, getting sick of eating barbecue and rubber chicken dinners is what you have to do in districts like this. And what we saw in 2018 is that Democrats invested in door-to-door. In fact, Democrats are already right now in these districts going door-to-door. I know it's not getting a lot of media coverage, and and that is intentional. They're flying under the radar. But Democrats are already going door-to-door in these districts to vote Democrat generically in the Senate and to vote for Lucy McBath in the 6th and uh, Carolyn Bordeaux more often than not in the 7th Congressional District. Republicans need to have ground games. They need to knock on doors. They need to be doing it now, not waiting until qualifying next year. By then, it's too late. you got to go on and invest and get it done now. And if you do it and you do it well, particularly in the 7th where there are still slightly more Republican voters and you have a presidential ground game coming in next year to help you, you're more likely to win. I just think Republicans in Georgia have taken the ground game. They they, they haven't taken it seriously. And they've done a lot of mail. They've done a lot of radio and TV. And please, I love the radio. Buy more ads on WSB. But you got to invest in actually showing up at people's door and asking them to vote for you. You got to invest in the ground game. And if Republicans don't do that in the sixth district and in the seventh district, where media buys are so expensive, they can far more efficiently do that with volunteers and get ahead and win. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. I'm back. Sorry, I was I was reading this news story uh, as we were coming back from break. I was trying to finish the last five lines of it. Elizabeth Warren wants to discharge uh, student loans, uh, federal student loans, not necessarily private student loans, although now she's saying private student loans as well. Uh, which would interfere with a contract right between a lender and bank. Uh, just full disclosure here. I still have uh, one student loan left, and I've got probably, I think the last time I checked, which was last month, so this is roughly accurate, so I've got about $65,000 on this private student loan. Now, it, it funded my law school uh, and the bar classes, so of course it was exp- it was a very expensive student loan, and I've been paying on it for a while, but I've paid off all my other student loans, so do I get a refund? From Elizabeth Warren, what about the others who have paid off their loans, been responsible and paid off their loans? Do we get refunds or is it just for future student loans? And if so, is that fair? I don't know that it is. Yet this is what she wants. Here's a hint. It can't pass Congress. There aren't enough Democratic votes for a loan bailout. The Democrats have tried before. 